I've entitled the message for tonight, The Message of the Prophets. Of all the characters in the Old Testament, there were 14 men and two women mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11 as examples of faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. And then the last person he mentions, or people that he mentions, are the prophets. The prophets. A prophet has this message. Thus saith the Lord. A prophet is one who speaks for God. Thus saith the Lord. Now Christ is the great prophet, and I love to think of this. He never said, thus saith the Lord. He said, I say unto you. As equal with the Father, he spake the very words of God. But the prophets he is speaking of, I feel uh, quite sure, are the prophets from Isaiah through Malachi. The 16 prophets who said, thus saith the Lord. They uh, had a 350-year history beginning somewhere around 750 B.C., down to 400 B.C., and after that, there was 400 years without a prophetic word. But the prophets. Now, I realize Abraham was a prophet. God said he was in Genesis chapter 20. Moses was certainly a prophet. And when we think of Elijah and Elisha, we certainly think of the prophets. And they were miracle-working prophets. And I think it's interesting, uh, when Elijah left, Elijah said, give me a double portion of the spirit that Elijah had. And do you know that Elisha did twice more miracles than Elijah did? But as I said, I believe that these are a reference to the prophets Isaiah Isaiah through Malachi. Their writings, the verbally inspired words written by these 16 different prophets. I think it's interesting in the first recorded sermon after the resurrection of Christ, at the very beginning of the sermon, Peter quotes Joel, the prophet. You know, that's all these New Testament men had was the Old Testament scriptures. And that's what they preached the gospel from. Would you turn with me for a moment to Luke chapter 24 before we look at our text and Acts 10, Luke 24. I love these verses of Scripture. Verse 25. Then he said unto them, O fools, and slow of heart to believe, All that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ, was it not necessary for Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? Of course it was. He's a lamb slain from the foundation of the world. There was a divine necessity 
to this. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Look in verse 44. And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Now, would you turn back to Acts chapter 10? Verse 43. To him. Not to their denominational brand. To him. Give all the prophets witness that through his name. Now his name is who he is. His name is his attributes. Through his name. Turn back to Acts chapter 4 for a moment. Acts chapter 4. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what power or by what name have you done this? Speaking of that man that was healed, he'd been a cripple from his womb. And Peter told him to get up, and he did. And they said, By what power, by what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, and by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner, neither is there salvation in any other, for there's none other name. Remember through his name? This is just not talking about his name articulated verbally. This is talking about who he is. Through his name, through every one of his attributes, through his name. This man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. It's necessary that we be saved. It's God's purpose, and God's purpose must come to pass. Christ is successful. His salvation is not an offer. It's not an attempt. Successful. We must be saved. And I love uh, when, they per, when they perceived that they were, they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men. They took knowledge of them. That they had been with Jesus. Now back to Acts chapter 10. To him. Give all the prophets witness 
that through his name, whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. Now this was Peter's conclusion to this great message. And let's look at Acts chapter 10 together. Why Peter made this statement. Now this story actually begins in verse 43 of chapter 9. And it came to pass that he tarried many days, speaking of Peter in Joppa, with one Simon, a tanner. He was a leather worker. He was constantly in contact with death. To the average Jew, he had the most unclean job anybody could possibly have. You know how when you came into contact with death, you had to have a sacrifice. Well, he was constantly in contact with death, and this would have been the most infamous job in Israel. And this is the guy Peter hangs out with. He stays in Joppa with one named Simon, a tanner. Now let's go on reading chapter 10, verse 1. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian Band. He was a devout man, one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. Does this mean that that man was saved? Well, if you can be saved without faith in Christ, it means that. But can you be saved without faith in Christ? No. As a matter of fact, this passage uh, lets us know that this man was a religious convert to Judaism. At this time, he was not saved. He was somebody God was going to save. But look what um, the angel says to Cornelius in verse 6. He lodgeth, when you send for Peter, he lodgeth with Simon a tanner whose house is by the seaside. He shall tell thee what thou oughtest to do. Here's what you need to do. You're not doing it. This is what you ought to do. Look in Acts chapter 11, verse 14. Peter's recounting what took place. Let's start in verse 12. And the Spirit bade me go with him, nothing doubting. Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me, and we entered into the man's house. And he showed us how he had seen an angel in his house, which stood and said to him, Send men to Joppa, and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who shall tell thee words whereby thou and all thy house shall be saved. And that answers that question, doesn't it? They weren't saved yet. They would be by the grace of God. But you're not saved apart from faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It was the Lord who said, He that believeth not shall be what? Damned. If you believe not that I am he, you shall die in your sins. There is no salvation apart from faith in Christ. But this man was a, a Gentile. There was a Jewish proselyte. <clears throat> Verse 3. Now this man saw in a vision, evidently about the ninth hour of the day, an angel of God coming in unto him and saying unto him, Cornelius. And when he looked upon him, he was afraid. And he said, what is it, Lord? And he said unto him, thy prayers and thine alms are come up for a memorial before God. Now send to Joppa 
and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. He lodgeth with one Simon a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. He shall tell thee what thou oughtest to do. He's going to tell you what you need to do. And when the angel which spake unto Cornelius was departed, he called two of his household servants and a devout soldier of them that waited on him continually. And when he declared all these things unto them, he sent them to Joppa. Now on the morrow, as they went on their journey and drew nigh into the city, Peter went up upon the housetop to pray about the six hours, about noon. And he became very hungry and would have eaten, but while they made ready, he fell into a trance. And he saw this vision during this trance. He saw heaven open. And a certain vessel descending unto him, as it had been a great sheet knit at the four corners and led down to the earth, wherein were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth and wild beasts and creeping things and fowls of the air, animals that the law said, don't eat. They're unclean. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that's common or unclean. Here, boy, Peter makes some pretty ridiculous statements, doesn't he? The Lord tells him to rise and kill and eat. No, not so, Lord, that, that wouldn't be right. I've never eaten anything unclean. And the voice spake unto him again the second time, What God hath cleansed, that call not thou common. This was done three times. And the vessel was received up again into heaven. Now, while Peter doubted in himself what the vision which he'd seen should mean, he didn't know what he was supposed to learn from this. He was trying to figure it out. He didn't know. While Peter doubted in himself what this vision which he had seen should mean, behold, the men which sent from Cornelius made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before him at the gate and called and asked whether Simon, which was surnamed Peter, was lodged there. While Peter thought on the vision, the Spirit said unto him, Behold, three men seek thee. Arise therefore and get thee down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Then Peter went down to the men which were sent unto him from Cornelius, Gentiles. And he said, Behold, I am he whom you seek. What is the cause wherewith you are come? And they said, Cornelius, the centurion, a just man. One that feareth God and of good report among all the nations of the Jews was warned from God by an holy angel to send for thee into his house and to hear words of thee. I think it's interesting that the angel could have preached the gospel to him, but he sent a man to him for him to hear the gospel. Verse 23, then called he them in and lodged them. And on the morrow, Peter went away with them, and certain brethren from Joppa accompanied him. And the morrow, after they entered into Caesarea, and Cornelius waited for them and had called together his kinsmen and near friends. I mean, I'm sure he was excited. Uh, the Lord 
had told him, you're going to hear words whereby you're going to be saved. And so he, he tells all his friends, his relatives, come to my house. We're going to hear a message. Verse 25, and as Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. I think that lets you know at this time he doesn't know the Lord. He falls down at the feet of a man and worships him. But Peter took him up, saying, Stand up, I myself also am a man. Man in his best state is altogether vanity. I'm a man. You're a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many that were come together. And he said unto them, You know that it's an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or come unto one of another nation. Now, Peter didn't like Gentiles. As a matter of fact, he had a problem all of his life with his attitude toward Gentiles. Uh, Look in Acts chapter 11 for just a moment. He says in verse 15, And as I begin to speak, the Holy Ghost fell on them as on us at the beginning. Then remembered I the word of the Lord, how that he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you should be baptized with the Holy Ghost, for as much then as God gave them the like gift as he did to us, who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. What was that I, that I could withstand God? I would have prevented this if I could, but I couldn't do it. This is God doing this. When they heard these things, they held their peace and glorified God, saying, Then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. What a blessed gift. (laughs) Peter said, I didn't want it to happen, but God did. Thank the Lord for that. Now go back to Acts chapter 10. But God hath showed me, verse 28, that I should not call any man, Jew or Gentile, unclean or common. Therefore came I unto you without gainsaying, as soon as I was sent for, I asked therefore, for what intent have you sent me? And Cornelius said four days ago, I was fasting until this hour. At the ninth hour I prayed in my house, and behold a man, stood before me in bright clothing. And he said, Cornelius, thy prayer is heard, and thine alms are had in remembrance in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa, and call hither Simon, whose surname is Peter. He's lodged in the house of Simon, a tanner by the seaside, who when he cometh, he shall speak unto thee. Immediately therefore I sent to thee, and thou hast well done that thou art come. Now therefore are we all here present before God to hear all things that are commanded thee of God. We're here to hear. Would to God that would be my attitude and your attitude every time we hear the gospel. We're here to hear all the things that God hath commanded you. We're not here to analyze. We're not here to criticize. We're here 
to hear. May God give me that attitude. Speak, Lord, thy servant heareth. Faith cometh by hearing. I hope that makes every one of our ears prick up to listen. Faith cometh by hearing. He said we're here to hear all the things that God hath commanded thee. Then Peter, verse 34, opened his mouth and said, Of a truth I perceive for the first time that God is no respecter of persons. Now he thought God respected persons, the Jews. He had a special respect, a special regard for the Jews that he did not have for the Gentiles. That's all he could see. And he says, I perceive that is not so. God is no respecter of persons. God does not show favoritism toward one group of people over another. He's no respecter of persons. Now, he is the only one who has not been a respecter. Of persons. You and I have. You and I have. We all hold others to a higher standard than we hold ourselves to. Isn't that so? It's called hypocrisy. Every one of us have been guilty of that. The myriad prejudice and discriminations we've all been guilty of. Um, to have some preference to a certain type of people over another, the prejudice of racism, the prejudice of religion, the prejudice of different economic classes, the president, the uh, prejudice of ethnicities. Um, isn't it glorious that there is one who has absolutely no respect of persons? You see, the reason we have respect of persons is because we think somehow it's going to advantage us. Somehow it's going to make things better for us in this world. But what can anybody do to make things better for God? He has no need to have respect of persons. And let me tell you where this is most clearly seen, that God has no respect of persons. The cross. When sin was found in Christ... You say, how was sin found in Christ? He never committed sin. He never committed sin. Even when he was made sin, he never committed a sin. But he bore the sins of God's elect in his own body on the tree. And he became guilty of the commission of those sins to the point that he felt the shame of them. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, the joy of doing his Father's will, the joy of saving his elect, he endured the cross, despising, counting nothing the shame. You know what it is to feel ashamed of your sin before God? He felt that shame much more acutely than you or I ever will when he was made sin 
And when he was made sin, if there was ever a time when God could have turned his head and not done anything about it, that would have been then. But even his own blessed son, when he has sin, God pours his wrath upon him because God is no respecter of persons. Aren't you thankful for that? God is no respecter of persons. But, he says in verse 35, in every nation, verse 35, in every nation, Jew, Gentile, France, England, Russia, in every nation, he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. Now let's stop there for a moment. That almost sounds like salvation by works. If you fear God, and if you work righteousness, you'll be accepted by God. And you know, truer words have never been said. If you fear God, and you work righteousness, you will be accepted of Him. The fear of God is what every born-again believer has. No unbeliever has the fear of God. People talk about good God-fearing people. There's no such thing as far as the natural man goes. There's no fear of God before their eyes, but every believer, this is what regeneration is. This is what the new birth is, the fear of God. That fear of God that makes me afraid to look anywhere but Christ alone. That's what the fear of God is. Well, what about this working of righteousness? Now understand this. If you're justified on judgment day, when you're judged, it's not going to be said, well, he was a sinful man and righteousness was imputed to him, therefore he's saved. No, if I am justified, that means every second of my life, I'm somebody who has worked righteousness. The absolute obedience of Jesus Christ is mine. Just as my sin became his, his righteousness becomes mine. And it's not just some kind of document that says he's righteous. No, I'm someone who has done nothing but work righteousness. This is the gospel, isn't it? The fear of God, the working of righteousness, justification before God. In every nation, he that feareth him and worketh righteousness. Now let me, let me make good on this. Hold your finger there and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Henry Mahan used to say, if you make a big statement, you better back it up with a big scripture. Amen. Amen. Look at this passage of scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. You tell me that that working of righteousness is actually the description of the believer because of the justifying righteousness of Christ. And in verse 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Now, I'm going to receive the things done in my body, and they're either good or they're bad. In Jesus Christ, the things done in my body are good. 
That's his justifying righteousness. You know, most, most people, when they think of justification, they kind of think of it as a, as a virtual justification. Well, if it's virtual, you know, you have this name, you're justified. That doesn't get it. Just like that, just as if I've never sinned. Well, if, it's, if I'm just as if I've never sinned, I've still sinned. But here is the truth. I have never sinned. I have worked righteousness. Now, that's true of every believer in the gospel. Now, turn back to our text. The Word, verse 36. The Word which God sent unto the children of Israel. Preaching, peace by Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. Now, there's a summary of our preaching. There's a summary of the gospel. Peace. By Jesus Christ. He accomplished that peace. That tranquil, joyous state of soul because God is at peace with me through Christ. God's not mad at me. He's pleased with me. He's satisfied with me. Everything he requires of me I have in Jesus Christ. Christ, Colossians 1.20 says, having made peace. That's what he did. He made my peace with God. By him to reconcile all things to himself. By him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, and you that sometimes were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy, unblameable, and unreprovable in his sight. You get peace from that? The joy and the peace of believing. Peace by Jesus Christ. Now when you look at a, at a book and you look at the author, you'll say, by so and so. Well, in the Lamb's book of life, it's by Jesus Christ. He is the author. He's the author of salvation. He, it's by Jesus Christ. And then he makes this statement. Look at this statement in parentheses. And if you don't say this, when you're talking peace by Jesus Christ, it's meaningless if this is not so. He is Lord of all. You know, I love saying that. Jesus is Lord of all. He's not wanting to be Lord. He's not asking you to make him Lord. He is Lord of all. Now the Lord is the one whose will is done. When this universe was created, it had this one reason. It was his will. He willed this universe into existence. Providence, everything that takes place is all according to his will. There's not a sparrow that falls without your heavenly father. He is in control of everything. Even the bad things, yep. He's the first cause of everything. And he brings good out of evil. Trust his character. Don't say, why did God let this happen and why did God let that happen? 
God knows why it took place. And it's all good because he's the one who did it. He brings good out of evil. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. He's Lord of providence. Most especially, he's Lord of salvation. And if you're saved, it's because he willed your salvation. Not because of your will. Because of his sovereign will. He is Lord of all. That word, peace by Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. I tell you what, that ought to be in every message, shouldn't it? Peace by Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. I'm, you know, when, we, when we're preaching the gospel, you know where we begin? Jesus is Lord of all. That's where we begin. We don't try to explain men and try to care. We come with this proclamation. Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God, is Lord of all. He's Lord of demons. He's Lord of angels. He's Lord of unbelievers. He's Lord of believers. He's, he's the Lord of the devil. The devil belongs to him. I think of this, that scripture in Romans chapter 14, verse 9. For this end, Jesus both died and rose again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. That man dead in sins, he's their Lord. They belong to him. That man who lives, oh, he's especially their Lord. Now, that's the word we preach. That word, I say, you know, which was published throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached, how that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. And we're witnesses of all things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they slew and hanged on a tree. Him God raised up the third day and showed him openly. You know, I think it's interesting. Not to all people, but unto witnesses chosen before of God, even to us who did eat and drink with him after he rose from the dead. You know, he never appeared to an unbeliever. You think, well, that would have made him believe. No, it wouldn't. He never appeared to an unbeliever. Verse 42, and he commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify that it is he which was ordained of God to be the judge of the quick and dead, the living and the dead, to him. Now, here's where he ends. You know, Peter had an understanding of the Old Testament scriptures. You know, it's amazing the understanding he demonstrated there in Acts chapter 2. He was just divinely taught. He understood so much more clearly and here in one of his early messages, and this is a watershed event in the Old Testament. This is salvation to the Gentiles. Hear Peter's statement to him. I love that, don't you? We're not trying to convince somebody of our brand of church or doctrine. I could care less about that. To him. To him. Give all the prophets witness that through his name through his name whosoever believeth in him shall receive 
the remission of sins. Through his name, all the prophets give witness. Isaiah, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Jeremiah says, this is the name wherewith he shall be called the Lord, our righteousness. Ezekiel says, you were perfect through my comeliness that was put upon you. Don't you love that song, when I stand before thy throne dressed in beauty, not my own? When I see thee as thou art, love thee with unsinning heart, then, Lord, shall I fully know, not till then, how much I owe. Daniel, you remember Nebuchadnezzar, did not we throw three men bound in the fiery furnace, and lo, I see four men loose and walking, and the fourth is likened to the Son of God. Hosea. Oh, his love for adulterous Gomer, the Lord's love for his people. Joel, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amos, how can two walk together except they be agreed? We're agreed. And we walk together in the gospel of Christ. God's in agreement with me. I'm in agreement with him through his Son, Obadiah upon Mount Zion shall be deliverance. Jonah, the sign of Jonah, three days in, three days out, the sign of the resurrection. Micah's prophecy, Bethlehem out of thee shall come forth to me, him that is to be ruler in Israel, he whose goings forth have been from old, even from everlasting. Habakkuk, the just, shall live by faith. Zephaniah, he will joy over thee with singing and rest in his love. Haggai, I will shake all nations and the desire of nations shall come. Zechariah, a fountain shall be opened in Jerusalem for sin and uncleanness. Malachi, the messenger of the covenant. To him, I've just mentioned every prophet, to him give all. The prophets witness. Well, what do they witness? That through his name, his name is his attributes, he's God. He's able to say. Through his name, whosoever. Oh, what a blessed word that is. Whosoever. Are you a whosoever? I'm a whosoever. I've said this so many times. Whosoever is better than if it said Todd Nybert. Because there are other Todd Nyberts. It may not have been me, but I am a whosoever. Whosoever. You know, election and particular redemption doesn't discourage anybody from calling upon the name of the Lord. People say it does. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. Just the enemies of grace say that. Whosoever. Whosoever believeth in him. I believe in him. I believe who he is. I believe what he did. 
shall receive the remission, the complete and total forgiveness, the blotting out of your sins. He says with regard to all of his people, their sins and their iniquities, well, I remember no more. And there's one reason why that's so. There's nothing there to remember. He put them away. They are not to him. Give all the prophets witness that whosoever believeth in him shall receive the remission of sins. Let's pray. Lord, how we thank you for the message of the prophets. Lord, how we thank you for the message of this book. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and the complete salvation that's in him. Lord, enable us to preach peace by Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. And enable us to believe peace by Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. In Christ's name we pray.